And now I'd like to introduce our speaker for the morning, our senior minister, Reverend Dr. Patrick Cameron. Stefan, did you tell him about the fall you took? He's got a few scars on his face. And uh, it's interesting because in the chapter I was working with this week in this book, it said, where you, where you stumble, there your treasure is. So you may want to go back wherever you took the fall and dig. All right. Just a little bit. Of, I'm trying to be helpful as we go along. All right. Good morning. Welcome. Um, Stefan, man of many talents, is going to accompany us on the keyboard. And if you'd like to stand and sing, that would be wonderful. Or please stay seated. Whatever you feel guided to. It's a song called In This Very Room that I've tried to change many times and <clears throat> it's backed by popular demand. And then we'll pray. In this very room There's quite enough love For all the world And in this very room there's quite enough joy for all the world And there's quite enough love and quite enough power To walk through our every fear For spirit, one spirit is in this very room in this very room in this very room know with me the recognition of that one life made known and evident by Everything we see and touch and hear, smell. Everywhere present, in and through and as all of life. And as you and I choose it, each moment, it is that act of choosing where it chooses us. And so our being becomes a being of oneness. Closing that separation, healing the separation, that, that deep abiding sense of not connecting. We close that gap in this moment. We heal that separation. And what I know, standing in that with you, standing in that sacred place on that high altar of consciousness with you is what I know is everything necessary for you and I to realize, to think and feel and be and do and to move forward. As I was so beautifully reminded by Stephen's song, when will it end? It ends when we get a new idea and a new perspective and open ourselves to this idea and to move forward powerfully and wonderfully. And so I give thanks for this knowing, for this tradition, for this sacred tradition that honors all sacred traditions. We stand upon the shoulders of all the great avatars. And in the words of the, the Master from Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, He never said, worship me. He said, follow me. And so let us follow in that Christ consciousness this day and to raise our consciousness, our awareness, and our way of being in a way that is powerful and dynamic and in service to the world to give birth to a bigger idea. For this I give thanks, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you for standing with me in that. And thank you, Stefan, for being here. I'm going to sort my papers out real quick because uh, 
then I have a better chance of making sense at some point in time. Yes, here we go. There's page one. Been talking about um, and using Greg Lavoy's book, Callings, for the last few weeks. And I, I love that book. It's been, I've had it in my library for a number of years. We're not selling it in the, in the uh, bookstore just because you can find it at uh, Amazon if you'd like to read it. It's a wonderful book. And it's called about answering the calls of an authentic life. And the chapter I picked this, this week that was, was sort of an inspiration to me, and it's been, been an inspiration for me for a number of years, is this idea of pilgrimage, making pilgrimage. And, and pilgrimage is a, it's a sacred tradition that has been around forever. You know, we, we meet each week and we sit in this beautiful auditorium. One of the first things that I was able to do when, we, when I arrived here was we got rid of our wooden pews. They were all lined up and they were, of course, fixed to the floor. Uh, some of you are sitting on them right now along the sides. Those are parts of the remnants of, and then we sold the other bits of the, the pews to another church. So they're being used somewhere else. And we put in our movable chairs in our labyrinth. And the labyrinth, is, the labyrinth is a substitute for the pilgrimages that, that many people in the Renaissance, especially, they would, they would go to the, to, to the Holy Land. But it became very, very dangerous to go to the Holy Land because there was, there, there was so much resentment that had been created in terms of wars and crusades and things like that that it, became, uh, it wasn't economically nor uh, practical to make the journey. And so the labyrinth became, so there were a number of cathedrals in the Renaissance, and this labyrinth pattern that we have is, is one of those. It's a replica of the Chartres Cathedral in, in the, the Cathedral of Notre Dame in France, and it's an 11th Circuit labyrinth, but it represents pilgrimage. It represents a journey inward. And so I'm always drawn to this idea of pilgrimage because the labyrinth has just had great significance in my own, in my own spiritual journey. Always at the heart of pilgrimage is the, is the question of, of, and the question that, that calls us in a way that, that forces us to leave home, to go on a retreat or a pilgrimage or a, or a, um, a vision quest. In pilgrimage, we're always call, we are calling on God rather than the other way around. And as uh, Chief Black Elk said, we are calling for a vision. We are crying for a vision. And there's something within all of us. I mean, why do we come together? Why do we gather and have this discussion in, 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 a, in a very uh, regular sort of way? And I think it's because there's that call that's alive in all of us. And, it, and we know that there's, a, Dr. Ernest Holmes, our founder, said that there's a divine discontent, that longing that we all have. And so we answer that in the ways that we, you know, based on the, um, this, the subjective nature of our, our consciousness, which is that deep level of consciousness that many times we're not even aware that we're operating from. So the, the, the crying for vision can many times reveal our true vocation, it can reveal our, our real name. In many traditions, you get a new name. You know, uh, uh, Abram became Abraham. And it's throughout the Bible where the name changes. And it's a significance in the shift in consciousness because the name is the nature. It may reveal our purpose. It may come to us in many ways. It may come as a dream. It may come as a, a fantasy figure, a voice in our head, an animal encounter, an overpowering emotion, a sudden inspiration, a surge of creative energy, a chance meeting at some crossroad with some person. This morning, Laura and I were sitting in meditation. It was about 8.15, and someone in our neighborhood, um, I, I think it's a new item they just purchased, but it was um, an air horn that you hear at hockey games. And I, I hope it wasn't one of you guys. But, but I just thought, isn't this interesting? <laughs> 8.15 on a Sunday, someone has a new air horn they're blowing off, which then became part of our meditation. Um, 
And as soon as I get some clarity around it, I'll let you know what, the, what it means at that deep level. Right now, it was an air horn going off during meditation. So following calls becomes our spiritual journey. It's like um, what it requires for us to follow is the break with the everyday patterns. Breaking. Pilgrims are people in motion, passing through territories, not their own, seeking completion or clarity. I was reading um, this week an article in a, in a book, and in it they, they, they cited that, that uh, Science Magazine did a study, and they now can track us where we go uh, throughout our day. 93% of the time, statistically, everyone is within six miles of home. 93% of the time, we all operate within six miles of home. And in the article I was reading, it was talking about soulmates, this idea that we all have a soulmate. And, and to think that the one and only soulmate that we're going to have in our life lives within six miles of where we live is an interesting idea. And so what the author said was that if, we want, if we're looking for our soulmate, you might want to expand the six miles out a little bit. You might want to go ten. You might want to, and what he was saying is that the, the more numbers you have, the better your chances are in finding that, that right person. I thought, isn't that interesting? Because here we are talking about pilgrimage, but we all get locked into patterns. He was talking about this particular author. He lives in, he lives in, in uh, Manhattan. He lives right at the southern tip, which is where the Statue of Liberty is, and he lives in a place called Battery City, City Park. And having been there in the last year, I know approximately where it is, and he said if you cross over the certain street, he said you come to the area where the World Trade Centers used to stand. And he said, now I've lived there. <laughs> he said, I finally made it over there, but it took me 21 years to make the journey to one neighborhood to the other. And I thought, isn't this an interesting, and his friend said to him, you know, you want to get out more. The point is with pilgrimage, it requires us to move out of our, our, our comfortable and familiar surroundings. And so it's a challenge if we look at the patterns in our life, 93% of the time. And they said that even if you move and you go farther than the six miles, your patterns probably never change. You stop at the same gas station. You have the same dry cleaner. I mean, if you're like me, if I get the dry cleaner and they're doing it, then that becomes my dry. I own this guy. You know, it's my dry cleaner. It's my, and I watch it here. This is my seat. People will come up to me and say, you know, something terrible has happened. I say, what? Somebody's sitting in my seat. I go, oh my gosh. And I'll go over and I'll look on the chair and I'll say, someone ripped your name off your seat. I don't know what happened. Would you be willing today to just move over 18 inches and sit in another one? And usually they say yes. Sometimes they don't. But I'm just saying, we, it's, it's mine. Now this is my dry cleaners. And same thing. You know, I'm going to start taking my dry cleaning down to the West End. I decided. Somebody knew. The problem I'm going to have with that is I'm going to forget where I left it and then I'll, I'll just be, I'll be up here in the same outfit every week and that won't be a bad thing. I had plenty of clothes at home. So two key components around, around uh, pilgrimage. Number one, and this is what makes it different than a vacation. Pilgrimage and vacation are completely different. One of the keys is we must be intent to spend time searching for soul. Must be intent in searching for soul. We have to have the hunger. And, and soul is moving towards the ideal. And the thing I love about this is when I do the work with Marcia Sutton, which is all about co-creation, is, that it is this, this beautiful idea that we don't, we don't do of affirmations. What we do is we strive for the ideal. 
what we do is we do a, clearing, a cleansing process, a clearing process of what, what the errors of belief are, and we all have levels and levels and depth of errors of belief. A very popular one is Dr. Holmes called it the universal, I'm not good enough. So the, the prayer work, if you haven't seen me do it, but it's a practice I do every day. I do it 70 times a day minimum. Sometimes I do it twice a day. And my words always change because I'm always clearing something new. But, but perhaps it's a universal I'm not good enough. So I release my belief I'm not good enough. I release my need to be angry. Or I release my, and sometimes it's sadness. The words change for me. And I'm grateful that the ideal, I'm grateful that God is the wisdom or the love that I am. So what's in that is a releasing and a, a welcoming of the ideal because that's my true nature. It's in me. It's within me now. It's within you. But it gets stuffed down with these errors of belief that I'm not good enough or I can't do that or I can't have. And I talked about it last week, talking about my sucker story. I, mean, I, I did the sucker story and then Francesca comes up to me and gives me a sucker at the end of the talk. I thought, oh my gosh, go figure. The beautiful maple leaf sucker. She said, I thought I should bring this today and give it to you. And then I talked about the sucker story when I was in grade two. But the point is that those incidents, then we, we, we create a whole you know, three-act play around that stuff when it isn't the truth, but the, those are the facts. So what... Moving towards the ideal, as Greg Braden says, and this is exactly the work of Marcia Sutton in a wonderful book we're doing next month. I didn't talk about it first service, so you guys get to hear about it, called Spiritual Partnership, which is powerful, powerful stuff. And he's saying the same thing, just a different vocabulary. It's by uh, Gary Zukov, who wrote Seed of the Soul. But Spiritual Partnership. So the ideals of, and they can be truth, beauty, love, perspective, strength, serenity, transcendence, sacredness, wisdom. Whatever. Wholeness. Wholeness is a very, a very alive ideal that's alive within our community right now. I want to go with those guys, by the way. So, but the ideal takes us from... And you know that this was in another piece I read this week that was in the, uh, uh, Psychology Science or Science Psychology. It's a magazine that says that Positive affirmations do not work for people with low self-esteem. Positive affirmations do not work with people with low self-esteem. It's, and in the article I read, well, I won't get into the details of it, I thought, how interesting. Because if you watch the movie The Secret, all you need to do is visualize receiving large checks in the mail. And then large checks in the mail show up. And I'm not saying don't do that. You might be one of those rare individuals that can visualize... Large check showing up in the mail for no reason. And then you see yourself cashing them. All of that is possible. I'm not saying it isn't. Anything and everything is possible. But for many people, the errors of belief are so deep until we, clean, until we remove that and eradicate that. And what that is, if you look, as I release my belief I'm not good enough, I release my need to be sad, it's a crucifixion. Which is what Richard Rohr's talking about, which is what Marcia Sutton's talking about. And I've had people here say to me, I don't want to be crucified, I just want to be resurrected. Well, you know what? You can't be resurrected until you get crucified. It's got to go. This stuff's got to go out with the old. You know, out with this and out with that. And I am the love that God is. Because when we stand in that, when we embody that, when we reveal that, the other stuff that we're worried, all the details get worked out. So pilgrimage is so powerful and important. But we, and it's not easy to do this work. I've got to tell you. Monday night, we did a sacred healing circle here. And all these beautiful people, because there's such power in the group. And it's all based on the Marcia Sutton work, and I'm, I'm in her mentoring program. Reverend Penny uh, Masick was here last week and had done our co-creation with our practitioners and ministers. But I did the Sacred Healing Circle. It was beautiful. Reverend Connie Nissen was there. She held the high watch. We had just a beautiful group. Everybody held the silence. We did the work. We were it was a deep inquiry, and everybody went home with a new clearing prayer. 
I got up Tuesday morning and everything and everything and anything was driving me crazy and all the memories and the, the stuff that people have said to me that I think, oh my gosh, look at that, look at that. And it was all bubbling up. And, I, and fortunately, I had my mentoring meeting with Reverend Penny on that afternoon or that late morning. And I called her and I said, I don't, I don't know. Man, oh man. I said, I am just reacting to everything. And I'm smart enough to know that I just lock myself in the garage when I'm doing that. I don't want to be around anybody because then i got to go apologize for the next month. Anyway, and she said to me, what happens when you start to stir this, this error of belief and the word of resistance that we all have? See, the error of belief is I believe that I'm not good enough, for example. And then the word of resistance, what do I do when I believe I'm not good enough? Well, I get sad or I get angry and I do them all. I get the whole list. So I, my words change all the time. But I, I stick with the practice. Anyway... She said, what'll happen is it'll fire on you because it's alive and you're stirring it up. But eventually, and she said, the only way through it, the only way to it is through it. And I know that's true. And I know that's true. And I share it with you because it's not easy work to do. Because we go into the reactive mind of defending, of, of, of blaming and defending or withdrawing or hiding or envy or going to regret. In the same book that I read about where people only travel six miles on average, uh, for their radius, it said that, a wonderful book, and I can't remember the name of it, so don't ask me. It's, I'll bring it next week, force you to come back and get the title. And I think if you've you got to have it, so you've got to be here next week, by the way. Anyway, um, I'd like to leave him a cliffhanger, you know. Um, but, but, but in it, he was talking about that if, if, if you live in regret, you might as well... <laughs> If you pull your car into regret, if you find yourself in a regret, regret means stuff happened in your life that you regret. You wish it were different. You just pull that right into the stall that says impossible. It fits right next to impossible. If your mindset is regret, you're right there at the bottom floor with impossible because you are not going to go back and change it. You are not going to do anything that can alter that in any way, shape, or form except change your perception and your experience of it. Because if we believe, if we truly believe that we are God individualized in this, this, in this, in this form, this finely tuned opportunity to make choices, you and I can make choices moment by moment by moment. And if we realize that we're here to be the revelation of that on this planet in a new and powerful way, then who am I, I can't speak for you, who am I to, to deny this opportunity that things show up into my life that put me into the reactive mind so that I can look at it and say, is this true for me anymore? And do I want to live like this anymore? And then to have the teachers that have come into my life to say, here, here's a tool to help bring that into the light, not to push it away, not to affirm over it, but to put it in, push, put it in the light and look at it because as Dr. Ernest Holmes said, we must look at a thing long enough so it has no power over us. We must look, and that takes courage. That takes guts because there's a lot of things that happen to people. And so when people have low self-esteem, of course the affirmations aren't going to work because there's, it's, a, it's, a, it's such a foreign language. So what you have to do is you have to meet people where they are. And everybody's starting point is different. Meet people where they are and say, tell me how you're feeling right now, which is their truth. Well, I don't feel good enough, and I feel sad about this, and I don't feel people support me, and people have betrayed me, and people have lied about me. You know, whatever. All that stuff is true. But at the end of the day, if you and I don't step up into our own awareness and our own consciousness and say, all of that stuff came into my experience as a result of the subjective nature of my consciousness. I didn't ask for it. Most of this is conditioning I got as a, as a small, small child. The majority of it is. But what you and I can do right now is start to work right where we are and dismantle it. 
And as you dismantle it, as you clear it away, the errors of belief, the errors of resistance, all of a sudden a new possibility shows up. All of a sudden, then we don't have to build a big cathedral. The collective consciousness becomes the cathedral. We don't have time to build a big cathedral. If you look at the, if you read the newspaper, and what's happened too is that when we look out in the world, and this discussion goes on locally and it goes on internationally, but what we know, see, all of us know that we're, there's a divine spark of life. We may not know it intellectually, but we know it intuitively. There's a divinity that lives within everyone, even the ones we don't like. It's there. And so, for us to be wise enough to understand that there will be people that will come along in our political system, in the religious life, and they will abuse their power, and they will do things. I mean, this, this health minister that, that, that spent $347,000 on his travel or whatever he did, I don't know, I don't look at the guy's name. But those things show up. But if we take that to the nth degree and say, okay, well then our political system doesn't work, let's throw it all away, because one guy abused it. That's part of that error belief playing out for this guy. And the checks and balances within it bring it back. It'd be great if we took every nickel we had and every penny we had and it was used so wisely and productively. But that's not the world, because a lot of people are out in the world and, and their, their error of belief is they're not enough and there isn't enough. So I better get everything I possibly can so I'm safe. You see it, every, you see it in all traditions, in all cultures. I te- I've been teaching the Mary Man and Morrissey stuff here, this Prosperity Plus stuff. And I love what Mary teaches. And, and, and I hear back from people, well, you know what happened with Mary? I know exactly what happened with Mary. I know exactly what happened. And I think one of the, what happened for her made her, forced her to become such a clear teacher about prosperity principles. But that's my take on it. Because I'm going to teach a prosperity class, whether it's hers or somebody else's. But when you go on, uh, you go on Wikipedia, a lot of the information is incorrect. I know her bookkeeper. I've known her bookkeeper since Mary went through this thing. And, everything, and she's, she's paid back her debt. Has she paid it all back? No, but she's made a, a huge effort to do that. But the point is, is if, if, am I supposed to throw away those principles that work because this person uh, abused them? I can tell you a story about Fenwick Holmes, Ernest's brother, who founded this tradition that would make your socks roll up and down. Should we throw away the tradition and the truth, the perennial truth, because one man abused it? See, we have to have enough. We have to see. Here's the deal. There's a lot of you that are new here, and so when when I when I come up on a Sunday and I speak, I need to speak to the new people, the people that have been here a while, and the ones that have been here long term. And I know that. And sometimes I don't do it. And you guys let me know. Thank you so very much. Because <laughs> what I what I can say when I'm standing in the in that divine grace, that sacred altar with you, is I can say thank you for sharing. Thank you so much for sharing, because it's it's their truth. It might not be my truth. But the point is, is that, so if you're new here, just like a small child, we want to we offer you the milk. Because it's hard to swallow the meat when you're a little baby. And for some of you, you need the meat. But we're all at various stages. We all start at different levels. And what I'm saying is, if we don't stand, if we don't stand in a spiritual perspective about what is valuable and true, and don't throw the baby out with the bathwater because somebody showed up in their error of belief and abused the system... It doesn't make the system wrong. It doesn't make spirituality wrong because somebody abused their power. No, they're just, they're mirroring for us that error of belief that we have. There isn't enough, I'm not enough. I don't want anybody to find me out. I'm an imposter. I mean, all those silly ideas, but for many people, it's so deep. And they respond and they react from that. So I get it. 
With, with pilgrimage, it's asking the questions. It's having interesting and powerful questions in your life. Because the questions are where, is where it all happens. It's the heart of our pilgrimage life. What is my purpose? What is my purpose? What is your purpose? And if you're coming here on a Sunday and you're taking a class here, whatever you're doing, this becomes your spiritual community because you live within six miles of this place. This is my spiritual community. I'll go to the ends of the earth as long as it's not over six miles. I'll show up. Well, what is my purpose? And if I'm, not, if I'm not providing you with insight and wisdom and clarity to help support you in revealing what, your divi- what that purpose is, then you need to find another place. You need a new dry cleaners. Or to whom do I belong? Who do I belong? I get a chance. You guys support me to read. Every, I'm reading and reading. And I'm, I'm, I've been invited. Actually, I'm in uh, Science of Mind magazine this month. I got a little article in there. Yeah, thank you. And I've been invited to do all the meditations. I've been to write, write all the daily guides, and I'm working on them right now, all the daily guides for the uh, magazine in uh, April. It's really a wonderful honor. It's like, wow. Thank you so much. Who do I belong to? When I get to write about those ideas, I belong to that. What can I believe in? Who are my teachers? Who are my teachers? If I understand everybody in my life is teaching me because I'm calling them forth in my experience because they are mirroring for me and, and pushing my buttons so that I can look at it when I react and say, well, there I am reacting again. I get to go do more, I get to go, get to go do spiritual practice. I do, I do forgiveness work every day, sometimes twice or three or four times. What changes must I make? How can I use my talents? How can you use your talents? And is that error of belief keeping you from using your talents? Of course it is. I don't care who you are. There's always another layer to reveal. But don't wait till you're ready to do it. Do it anyway. My teacher uses, I say, I can't be a minister. Oh my God, be a minister. Are you out of your mind? And she would laugh at me and say, if you wait till you're ready, you'll never do anything. And I would just be really quiet. So I figured that she'd say something nice to me then. And she'd just look at me and smile. So then I knew our conversation was over. <laughs> How can I save the world? Let's, hey, let's do that. Let's save the world. We can save ourselves. We save ourselves. We inspire somebody else. We create an opening. As, as parents and, 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 and teachers and educators, I mean, we model what, what we know to be true. We make a difference. Where am I going and how can I get there? Or sometimes we answer the call. Sometimes we answer the call and then it's how do I make community? How do I learn to forgive? What conditions foster cooperation between people? How can healing and laughter be combined? How can consciousness work with business rather than against it? Uh, Conservationists work with business rather than against it. That's huge in our our world. How How do we use the resources we have and not destroy the planet? Because we're the planet. How does the mind influence the course of disease? How does the mind influence the course of disease? That's why we're bringing Joyce Hawks here. Joyce is a renowned scientist. And she understands the biology of belief behind, behind how the, 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 we can, what, what Joyce will do for a practitioner, which I love as well, is she'll, t- she'll define what a cell looks like. And she'll tell you what cells aren't working right. And then she'll have you visualize that cell becoming functioning healthy. So she just doesn't say, I'm, I'm perfect, whole, and complete. She says, these particular cells within your pancreas 
look like this. And when they're healthy, they look like this. And she, she's taken that science and she's married it with the shaman of the, of the uh, uh, mystical teachings. Powerful woman. Powerful woman. Some great questions that I love are, rather than, where can I get my next fix? Where can I get mine? A more interesting question might be, how can I serve others? How can I serve others? Or, what will my neighbors think? Well, when that guy was blowing off the air horn at at 8.15 this morning, I was thinking a lot of things. But rather than that is, how can I be the most authentic? So if I see him, I go home and he's still blowing the horn off, I'm going to go over and talk to him in a very authentic way. And say, could we hold off a little bit on the air horn? But I don't know, maybe there's a hockey game going on in my neighborhood and I didn't know about it. How can we make the most money? Is that one of your questions you get up every morning? How can I make the most money? How about this? How can we balance the ecology and the economy? Ann Dillard, wonderful author, said, the way we spend our days is the way we spend our lives. The way we spend our days is the way we spend our lives. So we have, once again, the key. Spend time searching for the soul, moving towards the ideal, embodying and welcoming in a bigger idea of love, of truth, of beauty, of perspective, of strength, whatever names, whatever words alive for you today. And what's restricting that? What is my error of belief? What is my word of resistance? The hungrier we are, the second key, the hungrier we are to learn and be guided, the more we're taught. And the more we allow ourselves to be taught. It's that divine discontent that Holmes talked about. The hungrier we are. And I'm just, I'm more hungry today than I've ever been. This geographical pilgrimage is a symbolic of an inner journey for which we long. We long for this. We're all called to it. There's a wonderful story, a couple stories. I'll share one with you. This time's getting whittling down, but there's a wonderful story in the book in this chapter, Making Pilgrimage by Greg Lavoie, that talks about a woman by the name of Fran Peavy. And Fran Peavy was a teacher. She got out of school and she started working at an inner city school in San Francisco. And she realized that what she was teaching is about a third of her class were African American. And she realized as a young woman that she knew nothing about this culture. She knew nothing about these people. So what she did is one day a week she would go home with, she, would, she went to the NAACP in the, in the community and made some connections. And then she was able to, to one day a week go and, and have dinner with families of her students, of the parents, moms and dads, grandmothers, grandfathers. I know nothing of your culture and I want to know and I want to understand. So she started asking questions. She started living with them, eating meals with them. And then she'd say to them, what, what do you want me to teach your children? What do you want me to teach your children? What do they need? And from that, she, she realized, you know what? There's a bigger question here. And it took her on a pilgrimage. She sold her house. She paid off all her debts. She talked to people she knew in every, in every city where she had four people or more that she knew, someone from her uh, immediate surroundings. She decided she would travel to that city. So the first place she went to was Tokyo. She, laid, she bought an air, air, airplane ticket around the world. And she laid out her trip. And then what she would do is she'd go to a park and she would sit at the park and she'd put a sign out. And the sign would say, she'd put it on the, hang it so people could see it, American willing to listen. That was her sign. Imagine that, an American willing to listen. And she said when she first did it, she got a little nervous because no one was coming up and asking her any questions. And finally someone stopped 
and said, you know, I have concerns about this and I have concerns about this. She said, I just listened because her call, the question she worked with every morning is, how can I help the earth? To her, that was precious and that brought her to life. How can I help the earth? That was her question. And the answer she always got back was listen. And so she was compelled to go on this journey to listen. And she went all over the world and she listened to people. And she said it changed her whole perspective on everything. And she started a foundation, she wrote a book. She's still out doing the work, she's still listening in collaboration. But that was her pilgrimage, that's what she was called to. This is how the world changes. We get to know one another. When, when Laura and I went down, we were sworn in for, as Canadian citizens a couple years ago. The, the judge, I'll never forget her, she said, go home and talk to your neighbors, get to know them. Because when you know one another, you love one another. And then we won't have so many problems. If we wait for the government to fix everything, you know, there's another election coming up, and one party's going to fix everything, and one party's going to fix everything. Okay. As we give birth to consciousness, as we give birth to these ideas within our own being, and then, we're, we, and then we answer the call, things will shift and change. That's how it's always happened. And part of that is the mystery. Part of that is living in the question. One of uh, Greg Lavoie's uh, friends did a, a study with a couples. Had, uh, it, was a, it was a communications workshop with couples. And so what they did is they, they took the couples and they put the women and the men in, in two groups and they said, now the women are going to make, the women will be, spend a whole day making declarative statements. And the men, your job is to ask questions. And so at the end of the day, the women were energized because they were in the position of authority all day which typically women are not. And the men were exhausted. Because it was completely contrary to it. I know men. I know a couple of men in my life. And, and, and when men typically want to give you advice, they're not giving you advice. They're giving you orders. It's okay. That's what men do. The problem is when you ignore their orders, they get upset. But the point with all of it is that it's, it's exhausting to sit in the question. We would rather have the wrong answer answered than the right answer. We don't want to wait for the right answer. It's too exhausting. I just want to answer it. This is it. Why is this it? Because I say so. Oh, okay. I got you now. Makes perfect sense. You need an answer. The point is it's difficult to live in the question. It's difficult to live in the mystery. But as Greg Lavoie points out in this beautiful chapter, he said what's important is not the answer. Parsifal, one of the, the knights of the Holy Grail, he asked the right question. He said, whom does the Grail serve? Whom does the Grail serve? Which is this quest for this ideal. The Grail is the ideal. Only by surrendering to his curiosity is he able to help the king in the kingdom. He doesn't actually need to secure the answer himself. He only needs to ask the question. Isn't that great news? We just got to answer the question. How may I serve the earth? What is my purpose? How can I give my talents to the world? If, you answer, if, we, if we truly believe we're divinely guided, that we all have an intuitive nature, we just ask the question. And then what shows up for us that day reveals itself, and then we either respond or we don't. And chances are, if it's right for us to do it, that it'll come back again. And then, you know, it, it, you know it's our willingness to pursue that. He says here, it's better to, to cultivate patience than premature answers, although most of us seem to prefer any kind of answer to none at all. 
One of the wonderful, here's an here's a interesting two questions. One question is, where's my place in the world? Ever felt like that? Where's my place in the world? More interesting question, that I think, is in how many ways can I experience a sense of belonging to the world? In how many different ways can I, can I experience a sense of belonging to the world? Which, because then it's a vulnerability. Then there's no answer. It's like, am I feeling connected to the world? Am I feeling connected to who I am? Am I feeling connected to that, that divine spark of life? How can I stand in love? How can I stand in that, that sacred altar of that, of that marriage? Uh, Barbie Lee asked me, she said, why do we call it co-creation? We're all one. I said, because we've operated at various levels of that. Most people were in the second kingdom. I'll explain the kingdoms one day. Second kingdom is by me. Everything that happens is by me. I do an affirmation, I set an intention, I get a goal, and, I, and, and then everything is by me, by my hand. And the opportunity in the co-creation is to step into the third kingdom where everything is done through us. So we're not forcing, we're not pushing. What wants to happen, what wants to be revealed, we know it because we're in the conversation. That's the challenge. We get so good at that second kingdom, by me, I, by God, I'm gonna force it, I'm gonna find the right and perfect mate, even if I have to go seven miles to find my soulmate. Something powerful is happening. We are at a point in our evolution. We are at a point in our, in our, our spiritual journey. I'm amazed the similarity in the readings that I've come across, the books from all these different places. The importance of pilgrimage, the importance of the rites of passage, the vision quest that we long for. This has gone on for centuries and centuries and centuries. And we're at a point, there's a guy by the name of Tom Brown. Tom Brown wrote a book called Tracker about 20 years ago, maybe 30 years ago. Tom Brown takes people out into the wilderness and they, they do a, a week-long vision quest. They reconnect in nature. Nature is so powerful. Nature does the work. I went through this when I was 17 years old. I went to Outward Bound, for, and they stuck us on an island by ourselves, a little bit of stuff, no food, plenty of water, because you could drink the lake water. And we spent, I spent four days and four nights there. It changed me forever, because what I had to face was my fear of death. Because the whole time, it's great when you've got the fire burning and everything's going crackling, and you're, you know, you're great. You know, you're like Kevin Costner and dances with the wolves. You're dancing around with a stick. And, and then the fire goes out, and you're sitting in there in the dark by yourself, and there's all these noises in the woods. And that was just a small version of that. But Tom Brown has 100 people a week attending his wilderness um, survival camp. And it's all sacred. If you go to his website, it's all the things we talk about. How, how nature heals, the sacred uh, qualities of nature. 100 people a week at $1,000 a person. Do you think we not long for this? This experience of pulling ourselves out of this environment and having that experience, well, all of a sudden it's not we're talking about it from our heads, we're having the experience. To me, that's an indication that there's something interesting and powerful happening there. And it's not about the money, but, it, but I'll tell you what, if people are willing to put that forward, they, they, it's that call, it's that longing to connect. That is that pilgrimage, that is that vision quest that we've lost with all of the, the managing of it with our intellect. We've gone as far as we can with our intelligence, our intellect. And it's the embodiment of these principles. It's the knowing. It's asking these deep questions. It's being taken out of our environment of knowing and certainty and being placed in the wilderness of our own being. It's, it's taking the pilgrimage, not just geographically, but spiritually, that's transformative. 
And if we don't talk about it, if we don't support one another and encourage one another to have those experiences, say, this is, your, this is what you're called to do, we'll never do it. Because it's too scary to face our own mortality, to face our own death. And that's exactly what happens in the co-creation, is the, is the crucifixion, so you can have the resurrection. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful, powerful thing, but it's not easy. And it takes, I think it takes community to do it. It takes people that have gone before us to model it and mirror it for us and to, and to, and to reflect back and to say, you know what, I can do that. That's for me. And not everybody's going to do it, nor does everybody have to do it. But if you're called to do it, God bless you. There's a beautiful quote I want to end with today from the end of this chapter. He talks at the end of this chapter, tells a story of a woman that's uh, kayaked all the way around Lake Superior, a woman by the name of Annie Linnea. And Annie decided she had this this vision to to go all the way around Lake Superior, 1,200 miles in a kayak, 17-foot kayak. And she did it. She had someone that went with her friend. Small craft warnings the whole time. She said she'd put her hand in the lake in the summertime and her hand would be numb in nine seconds because the lake is so cold. And she got done with this and she came back and she talks about the re-entry. So there's the initiation, there's a transformation, and then there's a return. And, and, and what Greg says is that if you've forgotten that you changed while on your journey, that you come back followed by another whose spirit you sought, that you made promises that must be kept, and that there are conditions to your transformation, you'll jeopardize your mission. Know that your vision will follow you back and must be incorporated into your life and the lives of those you know. And the best way to communicate your experience to others is not to talk about it, but to live it. To live it. As Gandhi said, be the, we must be the change we wish to see in the world. Vision, if anything, is your life story in action. And it's there. It's all within us. And it's the revelation of that. And then we live from that, that, that greater sense of wholeness, that greater sense of vision. And we become that ambassador of unconditional love and possibility and, and, and abundance and joy and freedom. That is our divine inheritance. It's how we showed up. Blessings, so it is.